Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Legend of Korra, Book One, Air. It's a book one instead of season one because they talk about them in books because that's the thing they do and that's not pretentious at all. No, not at all. It's it's literary. It's literary. How mm. are you, Damask? What's news? I'm a little under the weather. I'm sorry to I've hear that. A, I've got a funny voice. Yeah. I've got a bit of a Kermit vibe, but that's fine. You brought me a um, lovely warm coffee, so that's still a, a treat. I'm a little mm. bit under the weather too. I had a really poor night's sleep last night. All right, well, we're talking about me here. Sorry, I don't know why you just, wow, wow. Need to insert myself into this conversation. <laughs> no, how are you, bro? Uh, Tell uh, me all about a little, it. A little bit of a headache. Oh. A, little, a little bit of a headache. I did offer you Panadol. Did, did you want some? No, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll be right. I'll be Sponsored right. by Panadol. <laughs> <laughs> this would be the podcast for it, I think. Um, no, I'm doing okay. We're all right. We had a storm last night. Did you get the crazy rain? Oh, it was rain. Yeah, rain and thunder uh, and lightning and all that jazz. I didn't hear the thunder and lightning. And then remember that very, my, very frightening? <laughs> my cat thought so. Yeah. He came running in. And the... Um, <laughs> Sorry, you're on fire this morning. <laughs> and the uh, my clothes were hanging out on the clothes dryer and uh, it started raining. I was like, oh shit, it's getting wet. That's the wow. caliber of my wish. <laughs> Uh, we should talk about something a little bit more interesting than that. So no, let's no, in. I think people want to hear about these intense problems that we're dealing with. Let's dive in we, deep. This is, you know, <laughs> relatable content. Everyone yeah. understands when your oh clothes God, are being dry. <laughs> My clothes are wet from the rain. Oh, losers. Uh, let's get into off topic, hot topic. Off topic, hot topic. That's whatever you were talking about for you. Off Topic Hot Topic is our news and views segment where we get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this week's season of television. If you'd like to com- uh, contribute a topic or story to Off Topic Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingscast. News in fuller. Ooh, nothing? I have one story for you this week. Oh my God, what's he ruined now? Fuller House Season 4 arrives on Netflix <laughs> December 14. You got me good, Broderick. <laughs> well played, sir. Uh, no, Brian Fuller's doing nothing. But that came up. It was like in that's my, great. like, Brian Fuller, it came up on the news search on uh, Google. I was like, yeah, that'll do. That's, that's going this that week. That's fantastic. So Thank looking you. forward Thank to that. Thank you for that. Have that you seen any of uh, Fuller House, by the way? Have no, you of course not. No. no. People are watching it. It's up to season four, so mm. there you go. 
I mean, um, if I had some like weed, I'd probably watch it because I feel like that would be just. Upset, I think it'd be a but... feel good, just like chilling out. Maybe while I'm playing a video game on my Switch, sort of thing. Maybe have it on the back. No, I think that would irritate me actually if I think about that. With the laugh track, yeah, totally. Would. Yeah, It'd that would get on my nuts. nerves. Mm. Yeah. Uh, some headlines for you. Uh, Stephen Hillenberg, creator of SpongeBob SquarePants, died at age fifty-seven. R.I.P. What a sad. legend! Like, yeah. One of the shows that defined our childhood, I think. Like it was so big, so popular. I think he was involved with a bunch of other things. I think he might be involved with Rockers One Life as well, I'm sure he was. and a few other ones too. Um, I wasn't a huge SpongeBob fan. I think I probably just it was the wrong generation for me. I don't know. What? It was our generation. What was it? I, yes. I feel like it came like after. Like I was when it came to Nickelodeon, it was like. Um, Real Monsters and Rugrats, which I think he was involved with as well. Oh, and we were really little. Like, yeah. we were a little older. Like, we would have been, like, 12 or something, I'm, 13. I, I re- feel like I must have moved on to, like, Dragon Ball Z and stuff and those sorts of things. Okay. I never really watched... Mm. I've seen Squ- SpongeBob episodes, but never really sat down with it. Right. Um, does that make sense? It's but, a great show. Well, yeah, well... So funny. The Jeez. Lots and lots of people, obviously, very um, mm. saddened to hear of his passing. Um, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Part 2... Is that part season? Two. Is that mm. season two or season one, part two? Who the fuck knows? Um, got its trailer just yesterday, actually, uh, on day of recording. Um, and it's releasing the season two or part two, if you want to call it, in April on April fifth, two thousand nineteen, on mm. Netflix. Um, which is spot on with my prediction that it would be coming back in April. So I feel I'm pretty chuffed about that. You should see his face right now, uh-huh. guys. It Smug is so smarmy and gross. As can be. Uh, looking forward to that. Daredevil has been officially cancelled by Netflix, which is not a surprise. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's like everyone on Twitter was like, oh, my God. I saw many a ridiculous statement being like, this is just as devastating as the cancellation of Firefly. I was like, fuck <laughs> off. Fuck Except off. you got three seasons and a spin-off series. Yeah, yeah and Firefly was fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Big difference there. Um, so that means we've lost Iron Fist, which no one was surprised about. Luke mm-hmm. Cage, which was, everyone's a bit like, oh, okay. Daredevil. Because mm. I think the thing people were thinking was maybe they'll keep Daredevil and Jessica Jones around. Yeah. Like they're the ones that critically have done better. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll stick around. So it's done. Jessica Jones and The Punisher are just the ones left. Um, although I think their days are numbered. Yeah, no, I don't think they're going to stay around at all. It's just a question of when they release their next seasons and then just consider them. They may as well have the last, like, thing be at the end of the credits, the last episode, Jessica Jones will not return. (laughs) Um, Like, the opposite of a James Bond film, just like, this is not coming back, don't Mm -hmm. even get your hopes up. Though there has been some suggestion in some of the wording from the Netflix announcement that maybe Daredevil will end up somehow showing up in some Disney Plus stuff. Though I think that's people stretching, like reaching for mm. you know, some comfort. I, when when they talk about ongoing Marvel projects, they could be talking about the comics. Like that doesn't mean yeah. MCU or anything related to that. So we'll see. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, Daredevil. Mm. Damask, what mm. have you brought for Off Topic Hot Topic today? All right, well, my first little tidbit, it's not really news. I just wanted to give a shout out to Kiki, who is a listener and fan of the show. Um, she's been dealing with some health issues. Uh, she contacted me on Instagram. Wow. Um, and she's got long journeys to the hospital, um, which we I think we can all understand that sucks. Yeah. Um, but she says the show keeps her company during those rides to the hospital. And so I just wanted to wish you well. She's got surgery coming up. Um, I think I could speak for both of us, uh, Broad and I, that we're glad that we can give you a little bit of comfort with this silly little show that we do. We're thinking of you and praying to the gods of TV and film that you make a speedy recovery. So, that shout out to you, Kiki. Shout out 
all the best. I hope uh, everything goes really well for you. Um, that is amazing. If we are in any way any sort of comfort or support, that is truly more than I could ever mm. hope for from the show. So that is yeah. I'm I'm really um, I'm glad you contacted me. Yeah, yeah. Thank really you for nice. reaching out mm-hmm. and. Really, really happy we have you as a listener. Thank you very much. Mm. Um, definitely thinking of you. Absolutely. All right. Another bit of uh, off-topic hot topic was I bought and listened to the audio book of I'll Be Gone in the Dark oh, by right. Michelle McNamara. Oh, fascinated by this. Okay, go mm. on. So, for those at home, uh, it's about the Golden State Killer, aka the East Area Rapist. Michelle McNamara dedicated much of her later years to the pursuit of that particular monster. Uh, the work she did was incredible. And I, when, you know, I bought the book, I expected to hear all about that, which, you know, you do, the amount of work going into it. Um, Because during the press lead up to the release of the book, there was lots of talk about how much work she'd done. Um, But what I wasn't expecting was just how beautiful her writing was. Like she's, her writing is beyond incredible. Um, She captures the horror of the crimes and the terror it caused in both the victims and the community. But she's not exploitative in any way. Um, there's a great deal of empathy and respect. Yeah, so I I bought it on audiobook and I was just listening it to and from my walk to work every day. And then, you know, I'd come home because it's a fucking great book. And mm-hmm. so I just wouldn't want to stop. So I'd be like clean stuff around the house, listening to it. And then I'd, you know, it's bedtime and I'd listen to it quite a few times. I'd just stop it because I'm like, I'm scared now because yeah. it's pretty terrifying stuff. Um, but the book's amazing. I really recommend it. Who did you say is performing the audiobook? So, because I was worried about that because often, like, sometimes I've bought an audiobook and the reader, it's just like, it's just not the right vibe. They don't get it. Game I of can't Thrones, remember the- cough, Game of Thrones. Yeah. So, I was worried about that. So, before I bought it, because they, on Audible, sponsored by Audible, no, I wish, um, <laughs> on Audible, they tell you, like, who reads it. Yeah. So, I, like, looked her up and she's, there's actually a little bit on YouTube where she talks about the book. Yep. Um. And she, great reader. So don't be worried about the reader. I can't remember her name though. Sure, but sure. She, but, but she's good. But she's good. Good quality. Um, and all, and the afterword is written and read by Patton Oswalt, which is a nice touch. Maybe that's how I need to consume this book because I haven't spoken to you about this. Mm. But um, I fell into a little bit of a Golden State Killer hole when mm, he was captured. Right. Yeah. I was. It was on because I'd heard about it. I never looked too much into the details. But I was on, uh, mainly because Patton Oswalt, I follow him on Twitter. So, you yeah. hear a lot about I'll Be Gone in the Dark and sort of that release and so forth. And then I was on Twitter in the moments when the report's coming in that they caught the guy. Yeah, that was very exciting. It was very cool to be like in mm. that moment and go see it, people sort of um, reacting to it. Mm. So, in that excitement, I went and bought I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I actually got it for my mum for Christmas or a mm-hmm. birthday. It must have been last year when it came out. It's been that long. Wow. Whenever it was, or maybe it was Mother's Day or something like that. Anyway, I go to the book and Steph and I were reading it together, basically. Mm. So, one of us would we'd be like cooking or whatever and one of us would be reading it to the other one. And we did not like it very much. Oh, really? Yeah, we found the writing to be... And listen, we're not, you know, we're, we're reading it out loud as well. It's on our own heads. We're doing it to each other. So, maybe maybe that's part of... You make me want to actually listen to this audiobook now. Yeah. Maybe I'm more likely to get into it mm. with someone who, you know, does this for a living. He's a performer. Yeah, he's yeah. a performer. But we found the writing to be very repetitive, to be very... Um, uh, I don't. I didn't find it particularly evocative. Oh yeah, no, no, it was not my experience. At okay, all. Yeah. so maybe performance has a lot to do with this. But mm. we gave up on the book. We we're like, oh, I kind of just want to 
like mm. read more about these cases in almost like a dot point form because that's it, I did not feel particularly. Yeah, I did not feel particularly uh, oh, absorbed in, case, in the I'd book. I definitely recommend the audio. I'm gonna have it's to try great. it now. That's yeah. good to hear because mm-hmm. um, we were a little bit like we'd heard so much good stuff about the book, we we're pretty disappointed mm-hmm. by it. We'd be looking for a new podcast to listen to, so maybe this is um, something we can do instead. Yeah, maybe no, definitely recommend. Okay, that's Absolutely. good to know. Thanks for that. No worries. Uh, all right, my next little bit is so I watched the first episode of The Bold Type, which is available on Stan in Australia. It is from. Just let me look up the network. Freeform is the network. Never heard of it, Mm-mm. but apparently. It's a thing. Because <laughs> um, I was just sitting on the couch with my girlfriend, just kind of like, I'll watch an episode of something quickly. What bold type came up on stand? And I'm like, oh, let's look at reviews. Reviews are glowing, absolutely glowing. Like, okay, sure. Um, so I watched the first episode. I couldn't finish it. What's it about? It's about three young women who work in a women's magazine in New York. Um, based on Cosmo, based on uh, one of the editor-in-chiefs editor in real life, Cosmo's experience. Um, g- that's a great question. What is it about? <laughs> From as much as I can tell, absolutely nothing. Wow. Because um, I was I was like, I was vaguely interested because it has Katie Stevens from a show called Faking It, which I loved, which was an MTV show and was cancelled. I fucking loved that show. I thought it was great. So, you know, I thought I'd give it a go. Everyone is so boring, so, mm. so, so boring. I don't even know what the conflict was at all. I'm like, when is something actually going to happen? Like, genuinely. I don't know what the show was doing. I don't know what it's about. One of the characters' only personality mark, because there's three main chicks, All her personality marker is that she is sleeping with someone. Like, that. that is it. What? That's all there is to her, as far as I can tell. And, in fact, all of the women are pretty much defined by who they're romantically linked with. Oh, okay. Like one girl, she has to like for an article, oh, God, there's some plot heavy lifting. Oh, anyway, oh, it's not great. It's really not great. Um, so she has to like stalk her ex-boyfriend because he's not on social media. Um, the other one, she meets a lesbian muslim activist and so like her plot line is about falling for her right the other one is that she's sleeping with a guy that is older and works in the same place that's that's their stories huh riveting stuff so i, I didn't even finish the episode i was like this is shit and the dialogue is awful where is the where is this from this show like is is um, it is it american the is network it is free form um, its production location is Montreal. Okay. I don't know. It's Freeform Canadian? I, I don't know. So, Canadian show, theoretically, or theoretically, maybe American? A lot of stuff gets filmed in. Freeform is an American pay television channel. Okay. Owned by Disney ABC Television Group. So, there you go. But it's awful. So. Oh, and if anyone, that's a shame. If anyone wants to at me as to like why I should keep watching, please do. But it better be a good fucking argument. Maybe, I'm not you said convinced. you didn't finish the first episode? Yeah, I didn't finish Maybe the there's an alien invasion at the end of the first I episode. I mean, that'd be sick. Like, if that's really true, feel up. free to send me spoilers because that sounds <laughs> dope and then I'll keep watching. That's what you need. Mm. Uh, anything else? No, that's it from me. Cool. I just want to round out things by quickly talking about Creed 2, which I got to see uh, with my brother a couple of days back when it released Here. in Australia. It's been out for a week and a bit now, I think, in the States. It's apparently doing very well in the box office. Um, Creed 2 is the sequel to Creed, which is the Seventh Creed One is the seventh film in the Rocky Balboa sort of oh, cinematic universe, you might say at this point. 
Um, if you don't know Rocky, what the hell are you talking about? How have you? I don't know what Rocky is. It's a boxing film. It's about boxing, and Creed is about it's about boxing. It's about boxing, and no, uh, I'm laughing because that's all it, it is. It is. Yeah, it is. It's about boxing. Um, Creed is sort of like the next generation of fighters in the Rocky universe. So the son of Apollo Creed, who died in one of the Rocky films. Um, he gets trained by Rocky in Creed 1 and a whole bunch of stuff happens. And Creed 2 follows on and continues that story, basically. Mm-hmm. That's a very bad explanation. I don't really want to give spoilers or anything. But uh, I should say that I love Creed 1. I think I've said it plenty mm-hmm. of times in this podcast before. Yeah. Creed 1 is one of my favourite films from this last decade. You've told me plenty of times. It Please shut up. is the best. <laughs> Please stop talking about it. And so I went into Creed 2 kind of anxious but also excited. But Looking also forward fully to erect. One. We get it. Well, have you seen Michael B. Jordan in these films? <laughs> um, anyway, one of the reasons to be a little bit concerned was that um, the director of the first one, Ryan Coogler, did not return for the second one, though he mm-hmm. does work as a producer on the second one, I'm pretty sure. Instead, it gets it's directed by uh, Stephen Capel Jr., um, who I'd never heard of before, has not done a whole lot. I don't think many people would have heard of his work before this. And so, Ryan Coogler wasn't exactly super well-known before the first one, but he had done Fruitvale Station. Um, so, there was a bit of excitement around that. Going into this one, there's a lot more expectation. Um, Creed 2, I'm happy to say, is very, very good. It's a very good continuation of the story of the first one. Mm. It doesn't quite recapture the full magic of the first one, mainly because the first one should never have been as good as it was. Like, it was such a surprise that not just that a spin-off movie, but even just a continuation of the Rocky series, which had sort of gone off the rails a couple of times during its six movies previously, um, could be so, so great. Mm. And like I said, I fully fell in love with it. Someone who wasn't a fan of the Rocky films beforehand loved that movie. So, yeah, the surprise factor of just like what uh, Michael B. Jordan was going to bring to it, what this sort of new version of the story was going to be is gone. You have a lot more expectations. And with that, you sort of understand where things are going to go. This one also, um, because you have seen the first one, you have a good understanding of how this movie is meant to go, right? Mm -hmm. So, the thing the first one does is you're not... Until the end, you don't quite realise what that story is, right? It is summed up in those final moments. When you get to the result of sort of when you get to have some emotional catharsis and go, okay, cool, I understand the complete journey of this film. This one, you know pretty early on how this is going to go down mm. because you've seen this movie a thousand times if you've ever watched a sports movie before. Yeah. And so it's yes. formulaic mm-hmm. on the face of it, but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie at all. It's still gorgeously shot. The performances are fantastic. From Michael B. Jordan, from Sylvester Stallone, from Emma, uh, sorry, not Emma, Tessa Thompson. Um, I love her. Yeah, she's mm. great. And I got to tell you, if you're going in there to this movie just wanting a sports boxing film, you're going to be a little bit disappointed. I reckon there's maybe 15 minutes of boxing tops oh, in this good. two-hour movie. It is a drama about like being an adult and about starting your own family, about moving um, away from your support networks, about what makes a family, about loneliness, about isolation, Mm. about um, your own identity and what makes you sort of who you are and um, following your passions, all these sorts of things. It's so much more about that than it is about anything else. And I could tell that people in the cinema maybe weren't super into that as much as I was (laughs) because something I've... I, last week I was talking about seeing Halloween and dickheads next to us were talking. Mm. This one, people weren't talking so much as you could see 
lots of little screens lighting up throughout the cinema. <gasps> so, like, there was at least half a dozen different people I saw with their phones out different times, like, looking at Facebook Messenger and stuff like that. Oh, Just because that. the pace is slow. Mm. And it was really annoying, but it was... I was like, I couldn't tell off six individual people around the cinema. Just yeah. and shout, Everyone, turn your fucking phones off. <laughs> yeah. um, but I wonder if that's a generational thing because mm. most people were sort of in that 20 to 30 age bracket as well. They were there day one to see it. They were yeah. there to see that, you know, mm. Creed, Adonis Creed fight movie and kind of got a heavy drama instead. Mm. Right. But I really liked it. It was, it's good. It's a great continuation. Not as great as the first one, but they could make... Infinity more of these, and I would be very happy. Nice. Just keep going. All right, I, I have one last. Oh, please I have an do. update. Update. Let's do it. Um, why are you talking about Creed? Because I don't care. I just um, <laughs> I could kind of tell. Yeah, no, I signed up for Anime Lab, and now I can watch Cowboy Bebop for free. Oh, good, so, excellent. There you go. Now, well, you're gonna have to now. Yeah. What do you mean I'm gonna have to? Well, you've done it. Well, you, yeah, I've I've committed. You committed at this point. I've signed up for a free service. Yeah. No going back now. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I want to say this, though. What mm. did you think? You thought the first Creed was okay. Yeah, it was fine. I, would, I just don't really like sports films. I'd be interested to see what you thought of Creed 2 because it is... Like, the sports stuff is there, mm. but it is way more of just like a personal relationship trauma. Mm. All right, well, if you want to pay for my movie ticket, sure. No, fine. we'll wait till it comes out. I'll buy it on Blu-ray when it comes okay, out for sure. Great. So. And- you can invite me over because I don't have a Blu-ray player. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, cool. Uh, the other thing I will mention as well, though, the the thing about this film as well is it picks up a great, insane thread from the original series, where Ivan Drogo, Drago, sorry, from Rocky Four, who is the man that kills Adonis Creed in the boxing ring, mm-hmm. it's about his son fighting Adonis, right? So it's like son versus son, the man who killed Adonis's father. His son mm. is going to... And it's like, this is dumb. What a dumb idea for mm-hmm. a, what are these supervillain things. They do a really good job of making someone who is a stupid cartoon film in the first one mm. actually relatable. They spend a lot of time... That's good. ...understanding the situation, the motivations of the villains and why they're doing mm. what they're doing and how the results from Rocky Four went on to affect him and his family and what they've been going through in the years since Rocky Four as well. It's surprisingly, like, you get to the end of that movie and go, cool, like, kind of, there was a arc and a catharsis there for those characters, too. It's good. It's, it's, I think you'd like it. Okay. All right. But then again, I think everyone would like those films, and I keep finding that <laughs> girls in particular do not give a shit about this film. Not well, a stereotype. I mean, it's, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's about guys and their dads, and that's cool. It but is about guys like- and their dads. That's true. And it's about masculinity, but it's about, mas- like, Toxic masculinity versus like, mm. like uh, positive masculinity. That's as well. a great thing for men to absorb. It is. It I is. am already hyper aware of that. I, and you yeah. know, fair <laughs> enough. You couldn't give a shit about any more stories about that. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of stories that aren't centered around men, let's get to our spoiler-free review of the Legend of Korra season one. Let me clue you in. Season in review. The Legend of Korra is an American animated television series and a sequel to Avatar The Last Airbender. Set 70 years after Airbender, the series follows Avatar Korra, the reincarnation of Aang, as she faces political and spiritual unrest in a modernising world. Created by the original Avatar showrunners Brian Konetsko and Michael Dante DiMartino, Korra stars Janet Varney, David Faustino, PJ Byrne, Seychelles Gabriel, Mindy Sterling, Dee Bradley Baker, Daniel Day Kim, Steve Blum, and J.K. Simmons as Korra's mentor and son of Avatar Aang, Tenzin. 
The Legend of Korra was not initially intended to continue beyond its first season, originally planned as a miniseries, but later expanded into a second and then third and fourth season. Season 1 consists of 12 episodes, each coming in at around 23 minutes, and took us approximately 4 hours and 35 minutes to watch. So, Damask, before we give our review on Korra, let's just... Do a little bit of a reminder of our thoughts on Avatar The Last Airbender, the original cartoon series. Mm. How do you feel about uh, Avatar? Got a few mild emotions about it. <laughs> uh, no, it's fucking... It's such a good show. We loved it. We loved it. We loved it. I Huge rec- fans. I highly recommend if you're curious in our thoughts on Avatar, go back and listen to the very early days podcast, Baby oh, Damascus, we Baby kids. Bride. We were just kids. Basically. I've gone back and tried <laughs> to listen to uh, the season three one recently. It yeah. was like, oh boy. Early days. We did not quite have our technique down at that I point. I can't. I'll, I'll never listen to them. <laughs> but it's. I think the discussion is good still. Yeah. And you could definitely go and check us out there if you're mm. curious. Um, but yeah, the the byline is that we absolutely adore it. Mm-hmm. I am fucking in love with Avatar. And I often talk, say my sort of go-to line is that it is better than Star Wars. It is better mm-hmm. at being Star Wars than Star Wars is. Yep. Um, so with that in mind, my thoughts on Korra are that it is very upfront about what's trying to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's recognisably a part of slash a continuation of Avatar: The Last Airbender, while also not just being Avatar again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very deliberately setting out to forge its own path through a world that longtime fans know very, very well. Um, the, I was thinking about this on the way here, actually. If Avatar: The Last Airbender is Star Wars. In some ways, Korra is sort of like The Last Jedi. Now, you don't like The Last Jedi, um, but it's trying to like take concepts that are a little more black and white and maybe look at the grey area yeah. in between it's and the, do things a bit differently. What was the first one that came back? The Force Awakens. Force, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't like The Last Jedi. No, you didn't like The Last Jedi. The Force yeah. Awakens, it's got some similarities to The Force Awakens as well mm. in terms of moving the hero's perspective off yeah. men and towards women a little bit as mm. well and those sorts of things, which is yeah. great. But the way it sort of is examining the world is a little bit The Last Jedi in my mm. eyes. But that's a take that as just a me trying to si- oversimplify things. I hate the fact that not liking Last Jedi is a, like, like I have to justify that as though I'm not a dickhead. It just wasn't for me. No, you didn't like it. That's yeah. fine. I actually really like your criticisms of that that mm. we've talked about on previous episodes yeah. um, about why that is. I disagree with you a lot, but mm. I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, not this is the last Jedi podcast, but I think it's a difference between whereas The the Force Awakens is just a romp. You can sit through. It's an mm. adventure film. The Last Jedi is trying to do something else, and it's really not in line with the adventure movies of the past. Yeah. And it's sort of like it's examination of the yeah. of the text sort of maybe for some people gets in the way of like mm. telling the story. Yeah, no, I get that. I just think it's the examination is not particularly good. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, go back to Korra. <laughs> the most obvious difference immediately is the visual upgrades. Avatar was never an unattractive show, but four years is a long time in film and TV technology, mm. meaning Korra's entire first season is beautifully animated in HD widescreen by South Korea's studio Mia, sporting crisp, clean images and some of the best damn animated fight choreography I've seen up to this point. The art style uh, takes recognisable imagery and colour palettes of Avatar and runs with them, brings some familiar aspects to even greater detail of life, uh, uh, greater detail or life than previously possible, while also adding fresh new ideas to the screen. The music as well, I think, is a step up. Jeremy Zuckerman returns. He did... Um, Avatar The Last Airbender, and um, he really- Beautiful g- scores. Oh, beautiful mm. scores. Mm. And we're just focusing on the on the series one right now. Um, some of my favorite moments are like the Aman 
Whenever we go to Oman, we've just had a beautiful moment. Then we'll do a transition and we get this long, like, dragged out um, sort of Chinese violin string screech mm. that moves into an eerie place of the man. terrifying. There's a moment in the last episode where the music really swells um, and we get some recognisable themes from the original series showing mm. up. That I, I've listened to that track hundreds of times. <laughs> it's just so evocative. Um, the story and the setting of the story is... Um, is really interesting because the first Avatar, the first series is very much set in a traditional, I'm going to sort of use a catch-all here, but sort of Asian sort of um, culture, where it's taking from lots of different mm. places, Japanese yep. culture, Chinese culture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, this takes that, and it's very recognisably still that world, and then adds in this sort of modern Western, sort of turn-of-the-century New York City setting, um, in there as well, which is very different. So you can sort of see how the world has changed over the 70 years between things. And I really like that as well. Um, it's definitely the same world, but it's moved on. It's sort of like, uh, it's yeah, it's another example of the show not just being, oh, here's more of what you know. Let's progress the story, take this further down the road. How has the world changed post-war? And what does this mean, does this mean for someone who is the avatar, this sort of meant to be this person who's meant to keep balance in the world when the world is changing so quickly around them. Mm. It's more adult in some ways, this show as well. And by adult, it probably just is aged up a little bit. It's set around teenagers, whereas the first series was more sort of around your tweens, Mm preteens sort of age group. And you can feel that in the way that they discuss things like relationships, which for some people may be good, maybe not so good. Um, Or just in terms of the complex emotions of growing into an adult or the person you're going to be and finding your place and who you are is very much a part of this series as well. With that more sort of aged up setting, it's darker in some ways. It's some very specific ways I'm looking forward to talking about in spoilers. But more importantly, this is a show that is less black and white. And I think this is probably the most pivotal thing about Korra of all and this season and what it's trying to do. Whereas Avatar The Last Airbender is very much... These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. And there's not a whole lot of stuff in between. Mm-hmm. Though some characters will will move from one side of the spectrum to the other. This is more about things are more complex than that. There can be elements of good and bad and some really morally and ethically grey area that's really hard to navigate when you're a teenager who's got the responsibility of like keeping balance of the entire world on your shoulders. And that, I think, for some people can be off-putting because it doesn't have that rollicking adventure feel of the first series. Mm-hmm. It's trying to work in murkier areas, but it's something I really like about this that it means it's a very different show. And I think for the most part, it does that stuff pretty successfully. Though I think one of the weaknesses of this show is just that it's season length of 12 episodes. Man doesn't get to luxuriate the same way the first season did. They were all 20 to 21 episodes long, mm-hmm. those seasons. Whereas this one... In 12 episodes, it's got to keep that story going. It's just like a serialized, moving, moving, moving story. So you don't get these little moments to just, as many moments, to sit back, have like a a, a specific, like there's no bowling episode that's like, here, let's just talk about bowling for a bit like you would with Saka or Katara or like any of those things. Um, Cora, in many ways, is the opposite of Aang as well. Um, Her struggles are much more about, well, he was... Um, reluctant to be the avatar because he didn't want that responsibility. She wants that responsibility. She is her identity is so inbuilt into her powers as the avatar. It's more about what happens when she struggles to fulfill those 
duties and um, how that affects her as well. And I really, really like the examination of Cora there. The extended cast is great as well. Bolin, Marco, great as the brothers. Um, Tenzin as well, the son of Aang um, and uh, Cora's mentor, um, is played by J.K. Simmons, is excellent. Asami is there. <laughs> She's not particularly well utilized. They do get to a point with her at the end of the series where you're like, okay, you found something there finally. But I think some of the ways she's using this first season are um, a bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, the cast is pretty comparable to the first. It's, it's hard not to compare to the first season as well. Um, I don't really want to do that, but you... the fir- I don't know. The, I, I love the original cast. Mm. And I mostly love this one. But you can't help but go, oh, Bolin's kind of the Saka of this story. And... Mm. Like, Marco's kind of the Katara of this story. The serious one has got to, like, keep things... Anyway, I'm um, getting off track a little bit here. I generally like the extended cast quite a bit. The very, very end of this series emotionally works really well for me. This season, I should say. Emotionally really works well for me. But um, it, it does a couple of things that I think doesn't quite stick the landing with, thematically with what it was mm. trying to say throughout the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about that in spoilers. Overall, though, I love Korra. I think the first scene is fantastic. It was great to get anything Avatar related at all when this came back. I don't think we all necessarily thought no, it was going was to come shocked. back. Yeah. So when it was announced, it was really exciting. And to get something that was such high quality that visually um, was just exciting every time you were watching it, that was challenging and a new perspective on the world where I love the chorus and I, I love the characters, sorry. And I, um, uh, I love that it's not just trying to be the original show. It's sort of forging its own path. No, it's season one of Korra is very, very good. What mm. do you think? Uh, well, my review isn't a three-hour lecture. So. Sorry. <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to get a lot in before no, spoilers. I loved it. I, I loved always it. feel like we do most of the talking spoilers and we don't have to do that. No, so. no. I no, I genuinely loved it. Okay. But I love hearing you talk about Avatar and Korra. It's oh. fantastic. Um, okay. So, yes. A lot of the points I have you've certainly brought up. Um Legend of Korra, unfortunately, is burdened by the weight of expectation. Mm-hmm. I f- this is my only my second time watching Korra. Oh, right. Way. Yeah. Um, so, my first time was when it was happening. Yeah. Um, so, how do you follow one of the most loved animated shows of all time? And I think the answer there is that you find balance between both unique elements of the story and characters and familiar areas that the fan base can relax with. Mm-hmm. So, while you say, yes, because obviously it's going to be compared to Avatar. It's just, that's what's going to happen. It's, yeah. it's I think, unfortunate, particularly um, initial reactions that were coming out, I think were particularly unfair to the show. Um, yep. But, yeah, with with that balance that you find of, like, creating something new as well as having familiar things, you were saying, like, you know, Bolin is the sucker of the group and stuff. That's very, like, very, like, trying to find a shortcut through that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, that's, yeah, that's... Here is something similar. We've still got like a a team avatar. We've got elements there that are similar that you recognize, but we are doing something different. So you do need to have both those things. You can't have something completely new and you can't just do a replica of the the same old, same old. Um, And I I think that they balance that really well because it's a a task that they had to undertake to kind of create this thing and not be it make it something that people just fucking hate, mm-hmm. which they shouldn't have to do, but that's just how things are now with fan bases. Um, 
Korra is a good animated series. Does season one compare to the three seasons of Last Airbender before it? No, of course not. It's one season. Mm -hmm. It's getting its legs, but it's a fucking good start. Yes. I just wanted to put in there as well. He raised his hand so polite. Something that I want to point out as well about Korra Mm -hmm. is that season one was meant to be the only season. Mm -hmm. There was no guarantee there was going to be further seasons. In fact, I don't think there was necessarily a plan to be a continue into the three other seasons that we got. It was just going to be this standalone 12 episodes. Let's just sort of catch up and see Mm. what the universe looks like now, 70 years later. Yeah, and I think also people going into Korra had the the memory of their experiencing watching all of those seasons. Mm -hmm. But what you really remember is how at the very end it made you feel. Yeah. You had three years of getting to know characters, going on a journey with them. Yeah. For fuck's sake, you're not going to get that in season one. And that's it's an unfair expectation. Even think about core, like, sorry, Avatar in season one though. Season one of the three, I think, is is that's great, but it's the weakest yeah. of the three. That's what I'm saying is that you, you know, people forget yes. that those early episodes we have characters like, I mean, Aang's kind of just ridiculous and annoying. Yeah, um, it's very it's, kiddish it's, to begin it's with. It's super rough. Like, yeah. it's that's a a problem that you have when you want to recommend a show like Avatar to people is because yeah. you have to be like, look, it starts off really kiddy, but that's not the show. I promise you, yeah. it's not the show. Um, so I think Korra is a great first season. Yeah, it even is. Even compared to the season one of Last Airbender. Yeah. Um, so this iteration of the Avatar, our lovely Korra, is headstrong and body focused. She's a stark mm-hmm. contrast from her predecessor, which is one of those things where that's where they've gone in their own unique perspective, Definitely. which is which is great, which is what they need to do. Uh, we deal with teenage drama, as you say, this time around, um, and we're immersed in a city dealing with a new world order. There are ideologies forming and changing as benders are uniting leaving you know non-benders disenfranchised things are changing in this world whereas in the old one that we we have come to know they were in war for a hundred years things had been the same Mm -hmm. whereas this one is like everything is moving um but however i think while they bring up some cool issues unfortunately the show raises some interesting questions not sure they always truly discuss them. Sure. Um, and I think this might be the fault of the show being aired on a children's network. And I think a lot of the criticisms that I am going to have, and I think a lot of people have, fall under one of two categories. One is the show is made for children and the story can sometimes feel unsophisticated to adults. You yep. know, no one can die. Relationships, politics, story arcs can feel basic at times. Yep. And two, we only have 12, 20-minute episodes to introduce a lot of moving parts, so it can feel really rushed. The This will come up a lot thematically, I think, as we go along, where mm. you can see the creators want to go somewhere yeah. specifically <laughs> yeah. and then are forced by the format yeah, pull to back, pull, back. pull back yeah, and not allowed to completely go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to kind of use your imagination to fill in the blanks a little bit mm-hmm. and understand what are they trying to say. Yeah. And 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 that's not great. No. And I think like when I was, you know, listening to your spoiler-free review, I think the more you watch this this show, yeah. the more you're going to get out of it. Definitely. Because the first time I was like, "Ah, oh, it's not really doing what I want it to do." Mm-hmm. Second time I watched it, 
much better experience. I got a whole lot more out of it. And yeah. you've watched it, I'm sure, 750 times. No, this was only like the third or fourth time. Yeah, that, you know, but that's all, folks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I th- and I think this is a show that on the rewatch, I was like, this is good. And I kind of am excited to, like, throughout my life, just rewatch it, get yeah. more out of it. So I think it's, yeah, because of that, because of both time constraints and how it's made, where it's it's platform. Yeah. Um, yeah, that can be a narrative issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is so much in there if you are able to take the time and really look for it. And you yep. have an adult's brain that's able to kind of do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Cora has a good first season. Um, yeah, because, yeah, the first time I watched it, yeah, not not that impressed. Um, the action sequences are not particularly – or, act, sorry, I should say, action sequences are not particularly interesting to me. In general, oh, in in and you mean in general action in movies TV, and film, film doesn't do much for you. Yeah, like that's when I'm zoning out. Sorry, like I, I was about to go and be aghast that you're telling me that the core action scenes were no good. But anyway, go on. No, I'm not saying they're not no, good. I'm no. saying as as a function, they yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. work. For. That's what I thought you were my do my this. brain disconnects just <laughs> involuntarily, just as like white noise. Um, I need character to be interested in what's happening on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, this season is action heavy, and that sometimes comes at the cost of getting to know the characters. Mm -hmm. There isn't a whole lot of time for bonding or hijinks with the new team avatar and that's a shame. We have characters dealing with big action stuff before I know who they are Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's hard to understand how difficult times have changed a person if I didn't have the time to know who they were before the difficult times. Sure. So I think that is an issue. I mean, the action looks great. I think the I enjoyed the pro-bending stuff much more the second time around. I was, I was about to ask, because that's something I want to talk about when we get to Because the first time I watched it, I was spoiler. like, is this what this is? Yeah. Is this what... Oh, God, I don't want this. Well, you know how long... Like, the thing is, pro-bending... We really get it for the first half of this season and it goes away. Yeah. And it never really returns. Mm. Like, is that a spoiler? Um, is that okay? I think that's okay to just say okay. like that. That's not a massive sport. Pro bending is part. There's a sport in this that involves yeah. bending, and it's not. While it's a part of the, it's part of the world. The world. It's, it's not, not part of the plot. Yeah, it's not. This is yeah. not a. This is not a sports anime film. That's what I Which is They're, what I thought they were doing. Which I was like, what? they exist. There are shows mm. about baseball and volleyball and stuff like that. If you want to look at like anime style shows, there's plenty mm. of those. This is not that, but there's. It's an element that lasts for half. The, I don't think it's a sport to say it's half the season. Yeah. Um. But I can understand how that would have had you worried. Yeah. But when you realise it only is for that first mm. half and it's like you did everything you could with that and then you finished and we move on and it's like, oh, it was actually pretty good that part. Yeah. But do I wish that oh, – just give me more time with people bonding and hanging out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want those... Or solving crimes together. That would have been sick. We can. Yeah, I mm. agree. I'm looking forward to talking about that in spoilers. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my spoiler-free review. Very cool. Uh, what would you give it out of five stars? I'm giving it a 3.5. 3.5. I'm gonna give my. I'm gonna give it a four. Mm-hmm. I've sort of been going back between a four and four and a half. The main reason oh, was four and a half. Yeah. Well, I gave the first season of Avatar a four and a half. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, maybe maybe I give it a four. And the um, uh, I think it has to be compared more to that than the. the as you mm. said, we're reviewing this season. Yeah. And it does have its problems mainly, as you said, from just a format platform point of view, I think gets in the way of things. And just a, it's got big ideas and not enough time to fulfill all of it as well mm. as it would like to. Um, so I think a four is a good place for it. it. It's a beautiful show. It's always a pleasure to watch. It's written really well. It's it's fun to be in that world. It just 
some of the storytelling unfortunately falls short mm. um, at times. Some of the character work could be better. Um, but overall, I really, really like it. Yeah. Maybe next time I watch it, I'll feel like it's a four. Maybe the time after that, it might be a 4.5. It might be just being, you know, if I delve a bit more into it. But yeah, this time it's 3.5 for me. Uh, it, watching this again and going through it and taking notes for the podcast mm. made me realize there's probably there's lots of shows I should be doing this more for. Showing, watching a second time through or a mm. third time through and understanding where things are going, understanding when you see foreshadowing what it is foreshadowing. Mm. And um, yeah, the because I found this time watching Cora. The stuff that was just so, like it, yeah, just having time in my brain to not have to follow the plot and absorb what it was trying to say thematically was a little more clear to me this time. And I like that. It was, yeah. it was more, it was, yeah, it was helpful. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning! On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of The Legend of Korra. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been been warned! What she said. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. Avatar Korra is bored of hanging out with baby boomers and having frozen nips, so she decides to head over to Republic City and learn some airbending from her cool friend Tenzin and his exhausting children. While there, she watches some pro bending. She's enamoured by one bender, Marco. You'd think he was a waterbender with how wet he gets her panties. Heyo! He and his brother Bo Lin were total Aladdin ripoffs before they were sued by Disney and forced into a life of professional sport. They asked Korra to join their team because who wouldn't want the Avatar kicking butt for them? I wonder if Jesus will play AFL when he comes back for the end of days. I'm sure we'll find out soon, considering how the world is going at the moment. Turns out the city's non-benders are pretty over having their houses either burnt or flooded or literally uprooted every other day. So they turn to an equalist leader. He's more than a man, though. He's a hero. Pause for riotous laughter. He wears a cool mask and also has the ability to take away bending powers. It's pretty epic and scary. Marco starts dating a girl called Asami. How do I describe her? Oh, I don't know. She's perfect. She is so beautiful and smart and kind and talented and brave. And she has beautiful hair and she treats everyone with respect. And she is so generous. It hurts me that she is only a cartoon because I love her. 
I have always loved her and I don't know what to do with those feelings. Anyway, she likes Marco because he has a scarf or something. And Bolin likes Cora, although she likes Marco. And Marco kind of likes her back. It gets messy and everyone gets their feelings hurt. Who cares? Just be glad that this stupid romance stuff led to Asami being a part of the group and it makes it hurt less. Asami's dad owns Ford, but his wife was killed by a firebender, so he secretly turns all of the world's Corollas into Transformer Bender Sentinels that want nothing more than to wreak death upon all of those that wield the elements. This hurts Asami's feelings because all of her friends are benders, and also because she isn't a psychopath. So, after Cora, Tenzin, and Lin find his secret bondage room covered in pictures of Aman, he loses his shit and escapes. All good though, because that means the gang all move in under one roof. They hang out, play Scrabble, and catch evil equalists. That gets all messed up though, when they discover the power-hungry councilman Tarlok has used fear of Aman as an excuse to arrest non-benders. Cora and the gang try to stop him, but he chucks Asami, Bolin, and Marco in jail in order to show Cora who's boss. Cora doesn't like being told what to do very much, so she arranges for a private beatdown in his office. It doesn't go super well after Tarlok reveals he's totally a bloodbender. He knocks the Avatar out, gift wraps her in some metal and then kidnaps her to an isolated castle in the sky. Everyone back home freaks the fuck out. Aman finds out where Tarlok is keeping Korra and goes to grab her. Nothing can touch him, not even bloodbending. Uh-oh, Tarlok is in trouble, poor guy. Aman's henchmen try to take Korra with them, but she's a clever gal and manages to escape. Time for a big battle. Aman attacks the city. Lots of fighting ensues. Pew, pew, pew. Swish, crash, bang. Ah, pew. You get it. Marco and Cora find Tarlok. He tells them a sad story about he and Aman are brothers and who were raised by the worst stage mum ever. With that bit of info, the Avatar and her handsome psychic try to confront and publicly shame the Equalist leader. But he's got a full face of makeup just in case this exact thing happened, so <laughs> jokes on them. Another fight breaks out. Kapow! Hachow! Wicked whack! Bang! Bang! He shot me down, etc., etc. I'm really painting a picture here. Aman takes away Cora's bending. No! But she figures out how to airbend. Perfect timing for her to beat him, and everyone finds out he's actually a bender. Aman then runs off into the sunset with his bro. Then they enjoy a lovely explosion together. Cora is pretty devo about not being special anymore and considers flinging herself off a cliff. But then she figures that having air powers is still pretty sick. And because she comes to terms with not being special, Aang comes along and rewards her with being special again. Frick yeah, man! The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Fair warning. I have a lot of notes. <laughs> uh, a lot that mm-hmm. we could talk about. We'll try and move through it quickly and try not to sort of linger I on mean, anything for too long. I'll try. You, you won't be able to. <laughs> I'll try my best. Just going back to uh, something you mentioned in your uh, story time, though. Mm-hmm. Aman's makeup, when mm. he's like, you know, they come in and go, he's a waterbender, he's a bloodbender, blah, blah, blah. And, and he's he goes, like, well, look at this. And he's like mm. that. I'm like... Yeah, that's not proof that what she said is wrong. That's proof that you have a face that's messed up. <laughs> like, that does not mean that the rest... Of, I just thought that was really weird. Everyone's like, oh, my God, she's a liar. It's like, what? No, <laughs> that's not how... No, that's... But, you know, that's the sophistication of some analysis of these things. So, that mm. makes sense. The yeah. public is stupid. Um, One of the things 
I first of all want to talk about was just how Korra picks up um, some of the ideas that were left over from Avatar Last Airbender, some things that were sort of brought up late in the game mm-hmm. or along the way that didn't necessarily get fully fleshed out or examined then. Uh, for instance, we get chi blockers again. We had mm-hmm. one character in the original show had this ability to do um, chi blocking, uh, Tai Lee was that character. And it was cool to see that return. It's like, oh, cool. That's a, That was such an interesting idea that only mm. one character had anything to do with. Um, so to see multiple people using chi blocking was pretty cool. Bloodbending also. Ooh, terrifying. A huge part of Katara's storyline, mm. but doesn't necessarily have a place in like how her story resolves or anything like that. It's this huge power that sort of just features for two episodes yeah. and then goes away. Like a symbol of her accepting her own power and how she wants to use it. Sure. Yeah. But when you... And like as a character thing, that works fine. But mm. in terms of it, it's a very powerful thing in a world yeah. that's, you know, based around, you know, this these powers that people have. I don't want to say magic because it's not magic. But these yeah, powers... It's it's a martial art. <laughs> the it was like kind of this this thing that's left on the table, not really being examined. So to have it come up again and give a full season around characters that can do this and discuss this idea of people who can extend their powers beyond what we think is normal and and that influence they can all that. I just think going back to bloodbending was a really smart idea mm-hmm. and makes Aman very and Tarlok very scary because bloodbending mm. is fucking freaky. But most of all, I was really happy to see the idea of taking people's bending away come back. Because that's an element that's brought up at the very end of Avatar The Last Airbender. And is like, just shows up to resolve the plot and then is not really talked about at all Mm. where this comes from. So while we don't necessarily get more of an explanation to Aang's power to use that, just the fact that we got to sort of talk about the implications of being able to take someone's bending away was like, that's cool. You've given me some meat to like chew on. You give me some stuff to work with here on was otherwise sort of left dangling as a plot thread from the original series. I really appreciate that about Korra. It had it had a mission there. Yeah, I think I liked how they dealt into the devastation mm-hmm. and fear around that. Um, I also found it interesting as an idea of, and we see that in Last Airbender, but as an idea of like, or a form of punishment mm-hmm. is the removal of your bending. And when so much of what we've discussed before and in this series as well is how bending is tied up with identity, to yeah. remove that is such an interesting concept. It is, absolutely. It's um, Well, what did you think? Speaking of sort of like it being used as a punishment, stuff like that, mm. Aang is obviously the first person to do this and he, we've seen him do it twice with mm-hmm. Fire Lord Ozai and then with... Um, Aman's dad, whose name I can't remember all of a sudden, but... Yukone? Yukone, that's it. Very good. Um, Just to get ahead of ourselves a little bit, what did you think about the way that the original series was sort of implemented in Korra? This is set 70 years later. A couple of our main characters from that series are passed Mm -hmm. on. A couple of them, one of them primarily shows up. The sort of descendants of a few of them show up mm. in this series. We get flashbacks to the Ang gang, sort of when they were adults. We get to see an adult Ang with a beard. That's very weird. We get to see <laughs> Sarka as the head of the council. We get to see Toph as sort of this head of the metal bending police and stuff like that. Did you enjoy that? Do you think that was well done? I mean, I love seeing everyone grown up. Mm-hmm. Do I think it was weird how different Ang was? Yes. Yes, I did. Different how? In physically? 
one physically, but also just like his personality. He's like real kind of stoic and serious and like the Avatar. It did miss. It was definitely missing a little bit of his. I mean, he was a a kid. Yeah, but it. I I just thought he should have. Yeah, have a bit more like of a twinkle in his eye. You know what I mean? Agree. Um, you know, like the like a teacher that you respect, but who's also like really cool and fun. Like Dumbledore. Just just like Dumbledore. Yeah, the show needed more Dumbledore in my opinion. <laughs> no, um, I mean, I, I liked that. I didn't love the um, – I love the flashbacks, but I guess the subject matter of Tarlock and brothers and dads yes. is like I'm not a huge fan of that part of this season. Sons of the, fa- the Sins of the Father uh, again. Yeah. I find that very boring. It's happening a lot. Um, it, it happened, it's, it's happened forever and I continues know. to happen and it's just boring. Um, so I don't like that. But yeah, no, I like the flashback. I love Tenzin, mm-hmm. the son of Aang. Um, I love the grandkids of Aang having elements of him. Yeah. Um, I think that's really lovely. I love um, Beifong, Lin. I love Lin so much. Is the daughter of Toph and has that hardness, but also has like, oh, this beautiful heart of gold. Um, she's like Wolverine mixed with Daredevil mixed with Spider-Man. And she's it's so like fucking cool. The coolest. And yeah. this is why I want to be an earthbender, specifically a metal bender, because of <laughs> Lin Beifong. She's fucking the best. She's Sorry. very good. Yep. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think I like the elements of... The, the the predecessor uh, fusing with the new. No, I liked it. What about you? I, mean, I particularly love Tenzin. He's, He's so good. a great character. So different from Aang as well because mm-hmm. um, he has because n- Aang is constantly about like avoiding responsibility and um, being a kid and mm-hmm. sort of just he is so serious and so stern all the time. So to see him when he gets like, a little frazzled or, you know, does his little like um, cape turn and then the wind flies yeah. up and like all you those are l- the worst or whatever yeah. he says yeah no and, and the moments where he sort of lets loose a little bit as yeah. well all of those are super charming mm-hmm. Tenzin is, is a great and a great sort of um uh, while they're both very different from Aang they're very different from each other as well between mm. Korra and Tenzin they are a really good pairing of mm-hmm. teacher and um and student there love Tenzin the the other character that we haven't mentioned though is General uh Iroh mm-hmm. yeah so the grandson of uh, the fact that he had the same voice. I hated it. It was so conf- I, I didn't like it. Yeah, Dante Basco's voice coming out of an adult is very weird to hear, <laughs> yeah. and it shouldn't. I I do feel weird about them using Dante Basco for that role because it's so evocative of probably the most important mm-hmm. character ultimately in Avatar Last Airbender, that to see that on anybody, mm-hmm. to hear that voice at all from coming from anybody, is to instantly associate that with Zuko yeah. so deliberately. It's, it's kind of choice. off-putting. I I, yeah. I wish they hadn't used him either. It's not I like, glad Dante Boss got, got some work, but mm. didn't make a lot of sense for that to no. be the case. It just and doesn't have a very authoritative voice. If I heard a recording of, I don't know, my grandma or my... Oh yeah, my grandma. Yeah, when she was my age, and we had the exact same voice. That would be terrifying. Would it? Yes, I'm like that's so weird. The, like, I think the, that's possible. The exact same voice. I think you'd be surprised though. I think um, there's probably uh, a lot of people who share similar voices with their parents. That's weird. I have the same handwriting as my grandfather, who died when my dad was six months old. Same handwriting. Handwriting. That's really interesting. Isn't that weird. That's so mm. weird. I've got. I've had a. My sister's told me that. If myself or my little brother or my older brother call her and we don't say who it is, 
this is before you could see who was calling on your phone yeah. or whatever. She would have no idea who it was mm. for a while. Like it would take a second, like because we all sound the same. That's that's a thing. It's a genetic thing. Yeah, that's true. You and Liam do have very similar, very similar voices. Yeah. This is why we should never do a podcast together. Because <laughs> who can tell us apart? Um, okay, let's move off the Ang Gang and go on to our new uh, team avatar. Mm. Starting with Cora, of course. Um, I really like that she is so different from Aang. Mm. Full of strength and confidence. I liked her much more second time around. Yeah? Yeah. Did you have what was your problems with her the first time? I found her annoying. I guess I found Aang annoying the first time around as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's when you have a character who has so much power, is in such like a place of privilege. Sure. Um I mean my my struggles with Cora is that yes, yeah, she is so headstrong. Mm-hmm. Can't, like, I mean, she's an she's an ignorant asshole a lot of the times, and just mm-hmm. like goes fully into things. And now I understand like that's part of the journey. But the Absolutely. first time, because yeah, like I said during my spoiler free review, is that you go into watching season one with the memory of how that char- the character of Ang made you feel, or how you felt about him. Yep. And then you meet this very obnoxious new avatar who's. Also older, like you kind of be like, oh, she's a kid, like she's older. Yeah. Um, and she's making selfish choices. Um, it it was jarring the first time I watched it, but now like it, I did not have that. And also, I think because I'm older as well, I'm like, oh, she's a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. That's that was the reaction I remember reading a lot of when the when the series came mm. out was how people found Cora annoying. Yeah. You know, she's she's a bratty teenager and these sorts of things, but mm. it's like. <laughs> These characters need to have flaws, and that is her biggest flaw. Yeah. It's that she does just try and do it all herself, and she mm. does think that she's got it all figured out, and she does think that she doesn't need other people around. And But also, what I love is that that is her biggest vulnerability as well. Mm. Her identity is so built around yeah. being the Avatar. And, like, she's got... Like, being the Avatar must be a huge responsibility anyway, but she's got the legacy of coming after Aang, mm-hmm. who, like finished a hundred-year war and completely reshaped the world when yeah. he was around. And she's got to take that responsibility. And people have been telling her entire life how special she is. They've kept her in this, not a prison, but they've kept her in isolated from the rest of the world to train her and mm-hmm. give her this responsibility. Everyone and who like lives in that community, entire focus is, is on her. her. Yeah, And she, for the most part, has taken it on with a huge amount of bravado. She's an excellent bender, except she's not good with the spiritual side of things. Mm. She's not good. She can't airbend. And so when her fear is, well, when someone comes along who is taking bending away from people, Mm -hmm. it's literally someone who can come in and erase her identity. Like everything that she values about herself can be taken away. And the thing I appreciated more this time Mm -hmm. were the moments of Cora's vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. The voice in the night where she's having nightmares about Aman and where Aman captures her at the end of the episode mm. and has the opportunity to take her bending away but doesn't and she just breaks down after that. There's a moment um, in another episode later on just before they sort of form the new team avatar and she's just sitting alone crying mm. because she doesn't know what to do. Her The solutions to her problems which generally were just like crash through things yeah, is it. not going to work totally. because there is this situation is not as easy as fire people bad everyone else good this is like two communities who have legitimate reasons to want change mm. but are being manipulated by bigger forces. And like, where do, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that last point is really interesting. I think the show doesn't 
dive into the two valid viewpoints very much at all. It doesn't. Um, but but I think yeah, like this. But the real where they really go with it is Cora's sense of self and the I, the fear around losing that sense of self, but also not knowing how to articulate it or speak to other people about it because you have portrayed or thought of yourself as the strongest person in the world. Yep. So then how do you go, oh, my God, I'm scared. I'm genuinely scared. I don't know what to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she hasn't learnt vulnerability. She, and that's, like, part of the spiritual side of it is that she she doesn't take moments to sit and reflect. Yeah. Unless it's simply she has been paralysed by fear. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, this is where I want to talk to you with Cora as well, is sort of Cora's identity is her bending, losing it is her greatest fear. Mm -hmm. So, when we get to the end of the series, um, we've also had Amana, I should say, as well, who has talked about that this has not ended up being true, about getting his power from the spirits, right? Mm. So, this idea that she is sort of neglected her responsibility, spiritual responsibilities may have even created this monster to some degree because the Avatar has sort of stopped like their their connections being more to the physical world than the spiritual world. Um, my criticism of the ending has always been: I'm not ever, I've never think it's a clearly understood what her spiritual breakthrough is necessarily mm-hmm. that allows her to airbend. Right. Mm. So she Aman comes up, takes away her bending, and then the the thing that she was always worried about was going to happen, and then. I guess she just sort of fights on, which yeah. might be the closest thing to a spiritual breakthrough. I've never thought that Cora would... I suppose, I mean, that was always the thing. She could be paralysed by fear. So, the, to get up and try and, like, mm. determine enough to stand up and try and save Marco is a big deal. But the idea that that sort of unlocks her airbending, I always found a little bit too convenient. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with that. And it's also kind of confusing the message a little bit, whereas it's it's... Around fighting still. Yes. <laughs> which is, which is yeah, confusing. It's not about reflection or patience, which I think at the beginning of this season was really quite a lot of the folks was like, yep. you don't just jump into things. You don't Gryffindor everything. Sometimes, yeah, fuck you, Gryffindor. Sometimes. Damn straight. Slytherin, Slytherin. Um, sometimes you need to sit, reflect, think about the consequences, the ramifications of something yep. and the, also the cause of things um, to really understand them and to learn how to either live with or fight them. So it's not – that's not what happens is she sees someone that she cares about about to be harmed um, and she continues to fight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, th- I think there's a few – there's lots of messages in this season and sometimes – they don't interact with each other very well. Yeah, I think that's what I was talking about in my spoiler for review. The ending sort of doesn't quite come together. That's my biggest problem is mm. that like now she can airbend because why? It yeah. just doesn't really fit with what the rest of the thing was doing. However, once she's lost the rest of her bending and she can only airbend, mm. she is broken. Like she has got through the fight with Aman, but she's feeling... A lot of self-pity. She's not feeling a whole lot of self-worth at this point. She's pushing Marco away, who we're meant to believe is the love of her life at this point. <laughs> um, and so, then she goes off and she goes off by herself, just her and Naga. And she has a sort of a sit down near the edge of a cliff and has a bit of a, um, a weak moment. Mm-hmm. And then this figure walks in who she thinks is Tenz and it turns out to be Aang. Mm-hmm. And Aang is reaching out to her sort of, you know, one of her past lives and says, you brought me here. 
um, only in our, I, I need to get the exact quote, but something like only in our, our lowest point are we capable of the greatest change. Actually, might be the exact quote now I think about, which is <laughs> well done, me. The, um, and at that point, she is able to reach the avatar state, which she's never done before this point, and we get that amazing swell in the music, which I love. Mm. I love the, I love the, the realization of that moment, right? However, what is that? What is it really saying? What is happening in that moment that you think that allowed her to spiritually mm. have a breakthrough that she hasn't had before? Is it just that she's coming, having to accept this, or what yeah, do you think happened? My thing was that she's gone to a cliff. Yes, um, you know her value is completely gone. Yeah, I think. Uh, Suicide might be on the table. This is exactly what I want to get to. Yeah. Go on. Um, because her value is as the avatar of having all of those special abilities. And she's like, well, what's the point? Like that's her entire life has been you're important because of this. Yep. That thing is now gone. So she has no value. So she goes to a cliff, probably going to kill herself. Um, and she steps back from the cliff's edge and just mourns yep. what she has lost. but. That action of sitting back down is being like, well, I'm going to continue on anyway. It, it, uh, I'm feeling pain, but I choose to continue. And that is the moment. <sighs> I'm so glad you agree with me on that moment because yeah. that is a controversial idea. Oh, really? Yes. So, when the series was on, there was this mm. great podcast series that I highly recommend people who are fans of the series listen to called Republic City Dispatch. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about this. And a listener wrote in and said that this is their interpretation of what happened, that she was there contemplating suicide. Mm-hmm. And they... And most people seem to reject that outright as being an option. But it always spoke to me as making a lot of sense Mm -hmm. because that would be her weakest moment. It wasn't that she necessarily was ever going to do it. Mm. But to be there on the cliff's Mm. edge and look over and think about like, well... What is my value? Am mm. I? Is it worth me sticking around? Yeah, even? and also, why else do we see the teardrop fall off the edge of the cliff? In it, so this is again the weakness of this show being on the platform that yeah. it is. Is that sometimes it has to be abstract with the way it presents these sorts of things, especially mm. around death in this show. Yeah, there are. This will be a theme as we go along. Not to spoil things, but there'll be things that will happen that that are deliberately kept. A little bit obscure because they can't show this on a kids' television mm-hmm. program. And the idea of Cora committing suicide—it's like suicide, bowling with the noodles as like a metaphor for going and getting drunk. Yeah, yeah, like right. That's yeah, yeah, because they can't show him getting fucking wasted. Yeah, uh, the the other one I think that's in this episode that's not as abstract, but I think if you think about it, is really dark. Is there is a murder suicide in this episode mm-hmm. when? That oh, when, the brothers. When Tarlok and yeah. Noah Tark are on that boat at the end, mm-hmm. like, and you can see Noah Tark is saying, you know, second chance we'll do this together, brother. And Tarlok is like, we're done. Mm-hmm. He puts on the glove and he's like, yes, it'll be just like old times. And you see Noah Tark, the tear roll down. He knows and has accepted what's about to happen. And at a distance, we see that boat blow up. We don't see any violence in it. We just see that on the horizon, mm-hmm. the ship blows up. What just happened was one character killed himself and another. Yeah. This is not something that's ever happened in Avatar before. It's a very- Interesting ad- that it uh, is punctuated with a, a teardrop, just like the, when she's on the edge of the cliff. Right. Yeah. And so there's this, if you look at the text, I think, closely, you realize that they are suggesting that suicide is, that is something you should consider being an option in this world. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell sometimes in kids' shows, like, are there certain things that are off the table here? Mm. That just happened. Yeah. 
And Cora, I think you are meant to understand that that is what she is thinking about mm. as well. And that's exactly what you said. Yep. She thinks about it. She steps back. She sits down and mourns. You know, maybe at that point, there's there'd be after a while, she'd be able to move on and build a new life for herself mm-hmm. because she decided she chose to stay. Yeah. And that's where she has a spiritual breakthrough and that's where Aang shows up and that's mm-hmm. where the, she's able to reach the yeah. Avatar state. I think it works perfectly. Yeah. And the idea that people don't read that mm. or think that's a valid reading and at least. Also like a difference me. of, which is part of Cora's issue the entire season, is action versus inaction. Yes. And so the action would be to jump, jump. off, to try to beat the problem by like, I'm going to finish it myself. The inaction is sitting and just reflecting. Yep. Which is what Tenzin's been asking her to do the whole time. And that's, yeah. It's a type of meditation, sitting and crying and, f- and feeling what you need to feel. The I don't think the ending works without that being the case. Agreed. I don't think there is a reading where she's just out there having a cry without her having to have made a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, a choice for inaction in this case, but having to have done something different. Yes. And so... The fact that people do not read that as being valid is very weird to me. I just don't know what maybe why story people they think it's don't like it very much. Maybe it's a and I and I think this is why it's great on the rewatch and the rewatch yeah. and finding new interpretations of things. I think the initial watch can feel really unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, I feel I feel a sense of relief about that, <laughs> but because I was going to bring this up and ask you what you thought about this. The mm. fact that you brought it up before me. Mm. Because it, I feel crazy that so many <laughs> other people don't seem to to see that what it, the, the, what it's trying to say. Yeah. Oh, cool, excellent. Um, is there anything particularly you want to talk about? I've got lots, as I said, but um, so this is in relation back to Cora, our main character, and it's um, something that Emily Gundelsberger. Sorry if I said that wrong. I'm sure I did. I love that name, though. It's great. Um, from her recap of. Ep- Five on the AV Club. Um, so F5 being... Great question. The Spirit of Competition, Thank which you. is, for another way of putting it, the romance episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the competition episode, yeah. Um, so she says that she's so happy that Cora doesn't get the but she's a girl treatment. Oh, and Which is the statement that we hear so often when you have characters that are badass women, especially in children's entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a statement of the sentiment, the sentiment of where it's like, oh, but, but she's a girl, um, which indicates that while the hero might be a badass, her badassery is an anomaly because of her gender, that her gender is what makes her stand out, not the skills themselves. Yep. Which is... Annoying. Yep. And unnecessary. And, and this show doesn't do it. There is no, oh, what she can do that despite yes. her vagina. What, what, what? Yes. Yeah. She's ne- there is never a question that Cora is, should be capable mm-hmm. ever. And we talked about this in Avatar as well. This happens once mm. only in Avatar where there's an episode around Katara being treated differently because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Basically, in the Northern Water Tribe, um, women not treat, taught bending mm-hmm. and she has to change the status quo and say, fuck that bullshit, yeah. get over your old ways. Um, but generally, in even the original Avatar, that wasn't, no one really ever went, oh, Katara can't bend or Katara is no good because she's a girl. Yeah. Something I love about this show is mm-hmm. it really plays with that. And Cora is a perfect example of doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. I love that. On that sort of track, mm. I also love when it comes to 
people's attract, like Bolin's being attracted to Cora, right? Mm. He talks to Marco at one stage and says, you know, I'm funny. She's blah, blah, blah. And says, she's gorgeous. No, says, she's beautiful. I'm gorgeous, <laughs> right? So, like, he's talking boy. about everybody being attractive in a physical sense, including him as a man being gorgeous, which is good. Mm. But then when he goes and professes his attraction, like, his interest in her, these are his exact quotes. You're the smartest, funniest, toughest, buffest, talentest, incrediblest girl in the world. Mm-hmm. What words never came up there? Sexy, beautiful, yes, pretty. pretty. Mm-hmm. Any of that shit. Yeah. She is talking about... She loves her because of who she is, mm. not what she looks like. None of that stuff. I Why love you date that. Bolin. He's clearly the better. Bolin is so he's much better. He's so good, and he's beautiful. God, when they are in the pool swimming. Oh yeah. I'm like Bolin. <laughs> Bolin. No, Bolin's great. Mm. Give me a Bolin of that. I was sort of watching this through. Liam was coming in and out, watching it with me, and we we're sort of debating, like you know, what the new characters are like and what we think of them, mm. and like. I was Wait, trying to was this originally? No, no, this time oh, around. Oh, this time around, yeah, sorry. And like, because he's seen it all as well. Mm. And trying to figure out like, oh, who are my favourite characters? You know, I, I kind of know who they are from the original series. What do I think about them in this one? Mm. Lynn is up there big time mm, for me. But Bolin, who could easily be seen as a knockoff Sarka at times. I really like Bolin though. I really enjoy him. He is very funny, but also incredibly loyal and like, um, he's very, he's a very good bender as well. Mm, so I think if he gets forgetting sometimes, capable. he is really good at what he does. Yeah, I think like, uh, spoiler alert, episode five is my least favourite episode. Um, but sure. the saving grace of that is Bolin. Mm-hmm. Like when he catches them kissing. Yep. And he just is hysterical and yeah. he runs off crying. All of his, like the thing where he's like, and you know, I'm gorgeous. Like he makes me laugh, but also he's he's fine being like a pouty, vulnerable mess. And he goes and gets drunk on noodles, and he's he's got his beautiful little fire ferret. I love Bolin. He's I think he's a really well rounded character for the first season. I agree as well. Mm. Actually, when I was watching that episode, right, I had in my mind that that was going to be my least favorite episode because mm. it is the romance episode. Yeah. Right. It's not by the end of it. I kept. Going, there's. I should think this is the worst episode in the mm. series in this in this season, but it does so many things in a charming way, and mm-hmm. it's actually the episode I think this season needed because it gives us time with just the characters. It's yeah. not about Aman. It's not about the yeah. the equalist. It's just about. I agree. Their I th- character. I work. think we yeah we needed more character work. Yeah. I just find the romance stuff incredibly dull. No, and it's it's not the most interesting thing, but mm-hmm. it is a chance to like uh yeah spend time with the characters just ha- mm. having their character yeah. interactions, their moments growing together yeah. and apart and together mm. again. I think is was an important moment that needed to be had. Yeah. And I think like, because I, I love all that kind of like hijinks, kind of everyone's getting to know each other and bounce off each other. Like my favourite episode contains where like all four of them are together and like, you know, fighting crimes together and stuff. My episode as well. Yeah. <laughs> like I love that stuff. I just, yeah, that I can't fuck you, Marco. Yeah. Anyway. I know. Yeah. yeah. It's also, I think, has some of the funniest, most charming moments as well. That this- I'm sorry, Bolin's like, Makes that episode. There's that bit where uh, Cora and Marco have had a fight and they sort of storm off and Marco storms into the thing. This guy's like, hey, Marco. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Just like <laughs> the delivery really of that funny. line is really good. Um, there's good pro-bending stuff in there as well, mm. which is surprisingly fun and interesting to watch. And like, I I could not make that my least favorite episode in the Fair end, enough. but I understand completely why it is yeah. for you. 
We talked about Bolin. Let's talk about Marco then. You don't seem to be a fan of Marco. I mean, he's he's fine. He's look, he's pretty he's good fine, for a teenage yeah, teenage boy. I don't know. Like, I wish I understood why, why he like was him. so alluring. Yeah. To I think I wish he was charming. I wish yeah. that he had a personality. He. I mean, he's just. Yeah, he's fine. He, but next to Bolin, I'm like, why wouldn't you hang out with Bolin? He's sexy. He's funny. He's also a fantastic bender. Yeah. The I like Marco. I don't understand why anyone would want to date Marco. <laughs> but I like Marco and Bolin as a team a lot. Mm-hmm. I like the two of them as brothers. I like the concept in this new world. You can be of the same family and have different bending yeah, that's skills. Really cool. That's very cool. I like any time they do stuff together. When we sort of get a little bit of like, we understand that these two have known each other forever, have their little like um, schemes and stuff they mm. do. The bit where they like, he got, Marco goes to sneeze and Bowling gets behind the guy and like yeah. knocks him over. Or just the way, they just have a real synergy, those two, when they're mm-hmm. bending and stuff. And they're both great benders. And so when they're together doing stuff or they're fighting and mm. like I... I feel that the the relationship with him and Bowling a lot. Yeah. The forced, for I'm gonna say forced forced, romance with Cora. I think the romance cheapens everyone's character. I don't think like anyone's like coming off super good in that in that dynamic at all. Yeah, I think it's it's unfortunate because I, yeah, I don't hate Marco. Like, I mean, when I first watched it, I fucking hated Marco. Yeah. On the rewatch, I don't, and I think he's. Yeah. No, I. I do like him and I think he's like a good guy and he's and he's strong and he's stoic but and we understand why he's stoic because yes. of how he's grown up um and having to look after Bolin and stuff it's a lot of responsibility on his shoulders mm-hmm. I like all that stuff mm-hmm. It's just like what oh, I don't want to waste my time watching him date the most perfect human in the world while also falling in love with the second most perfect human in the world you know <laughs> Who's the second most perfect human in the world? Is that Cora? Cora. Because <laughs> is the most. Of course she is. She's perfect in every way. Oh, God, I love you. The I like. I think the, the relationship stuff to some degree works only because they're a bunch of dumbass teenagers. Yeah. And that's what dumbass teenagers do. I think that helps being older as well. I can just be like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Memories. I remember that. Totally. Mm. I would be interested to talk about how this feels once we finish the series total, mm-hmm. like in terms of where this places in the journey when it comes mm-hmm. to romance and sort of growing up and your you know romantic interest and stuff once you get to the end. But I agree. It is by far the weakest element, I think, of the this season is that the romance stuff is just like boring teenage yeah. dumb romance. And it does, unfortunately, do a lot of damage on the character of Asami, I think who for a long time is not given heaps to do except be the other woman, mm-hmm. which means Cora is making eyes, like rolling her eyes whenever she's being lovey-dovey with Marco. And when Marco starts to be the worst boyfriend ever, <laughs> when your girlfriend says, I'm going to go fight my fucking father because I have to do that, and you go, no, I'm going to go help the Avatar instead, go fuck yourself. You're a terrible boyfriend. That's why Bolin's great when he's just like... <laughs> What's the dad's name? Uh, Hiroshi? Hiroshi Sato. You're a... You're a terrible, terrible father. father. Like, I was like, I love you, Bolin. Yeah, he's Because I'm sure that would have been really lovely for Asami to hear. She's like, yeah, you are a terrible father. Which goes on to say exactly that to him <laughs> yeah. before she takes him down. Yeah. Um, and then... Wait, I want to see more of that friendship, Bolin and Asami. 
because I think that's beautiful. I th- I could have. I mean, by the end of this that season, this season, the first time through, especially, I was kind of shipping those two. I was like, mm. put them together. They deserve each I'm other. I'm shipping Bolin with everyone. I'm like, and you deserve <laughs> that person and that person. <laughs> everyone just fall in love with Bolin. Uh, the yeah, but Asami then and then when Marco starts sort of like. His his affection start going back towards Cora again. Asami starting to make like narrowing eyes in the rearview mirror looks and doing this sort of stuff, and it, and it cheapens all of their characters. The good thing is, it doesn't seem like necessarily Asami and Cora come that's, to loggerheads I because think of that's it. That's the only element. That's of the saving grace. The, yeah, the love triangle or quadrangle um, is the fact that Asami. The more time we spend with her, the more we understand that. And Cora says this. She's like, oh, you're not what I was expecting. Yeah. Like, when we first... And her character design says, oh, I'm a villain. Bad I'm guy. a femme fatale. Con- and constantly it goes... To, it, I, it's mm. almost like they were trying to subvert the expectations there because there's these, all these multiple points mm-hmm. when you feel like she's going to turn around and choose her to be with her father, to be with the equalist. Yeah. And she doesn't. And she doesn't. Which is great. Which, which I love. And I, and I think that's a really cool thing to do is you have that character z- design of a character that we all recognise mm-hmm. and who's intentions we think we know and the more we get to know her we see that she is kind and generous and open and forgiving and tolerant and all this these wonderful things and Cora is like acknowledges that Asami is a wonderful person mm-hmm. and that you know probably kissing her boyfriend not a great thing to be doing um and they all like <laughs> they come together which which I really like and I do enjoy the friendship and the mutual respect that we see developing between the two ladies yep. in the show. Um, when Cora sees how skilled she is at what she does, which is really cool. And she's super capable. So I love that. When they're doing love that, uh, like doing Yeah, so she's not the Xander crimes. of the bunch. She's no, kicking butt. She's got that glove and she's like, she takes out like two different equalists mm. in that moment. It's like, you're very good at what you do. Like yeah. she makes a very strong case in the episode. Oh, yeah, you're worthy of being on this team. Absolutely. You need to be there too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do love that. Uh, is there anything else about Asami you want to talk about necessarily? I do really like the perspective of this equalist. Sorry, not equalist. This non-bender part who's part of the team, which we did have with Saka, but he, you know, um, he had a whole episode given to him eventually about mm. being that guy, yeah. about being the Zeppo, as uh, Xander would have been called. Mm-hmm. Um in this, she has to just, we find out by the end of it, just reasonably understand that the equalists are off base. Yeah. And that that the avatar is is the position to be on here. And mm. there's not, I don't know, I, I wish it was more Asami. Yeah, I mean, I think, because I think the idea of the equalists have valid points. Yes. Um, and that idea or movement is totally valid however it's been taken over by terrorists essentially um so the methodology is incorrect because of the leadership it's not the actual ideology that's incorrect how do we explore that we could have had more time with asami but once again um might be too complicated for a children's show i'm sure there's a way to do it and also we only have 12 episodes 20 minutes long it's not going to happen yeah i feel Um, like i think is unfortunate i think maybe yeah i think having Two villains essentially in one season that is this length, um, introducing so much. It yeah, it damages some of the point of views. I mean, the two. I think the two villains. What they do though is they just talk about the different 
ends of this spectrum, right? That they're both manipulating the situation for their own end. So there's this existing tension mm. between benders and non-benders in Republic City, as you said. Yeah. This is a place where we've gone from the world being divided to the world being together. So benders are working together. Mm. Some of them have chosen to be yeah. criminals. I, I think like if you have those two different ends of the spectrum, that's great if you have our characters in the middle engaging with, I guess, like a centrist view or try and understand both sides, but they don't really do that. Well, they they kind they do, but they just don't do it enough, I think. Like, again, I think our collective favourite episode mm. is the closest they yes. get to really discussing it, Absolutely. where you've got on one end, yeah, we're going to fight the terrorist mm. guys, right? And we are capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. And the other end, so we're going to help sort of the government at that end. And then when the government starts to overreach, Cora comes in and goes, well, no, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like- this is that's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that part over there what you're doing was good, but this bit is yeah. wrong. Give me more of that stuff. And that ep- there's that one episode which does a good job of it, I think, mm-hmm. but it is yeah. not enough to really yeah. explore the complexity of it. Yeah, which but, is yeah, it comes back to like the one of two things that people yes. like have criticisms of. One, it's a kids show. Yeah, and two, there isn't enough time. Yeah, I yeah. think both of those things are true. Mm. And um, you gotta you gotta use your imagination a little bit. Because ultimately, all that stuff really just reflects back on Cora's struggle mm. rather than on ever thinking, well, yeah, ever addressing the real concerns of the equalists or the real concerns of benders and all those sorts of things. That's just, there's never really a solution given there. We just kind of defeat Tarlok and Aman by the end of it and then... The, all the problems are gone. And everything's, everything's <laughs> resolved. Again, possibly a problem with the thought thought that this was only going to be one series of 12 yeah. episodes. They had all these big ideas. Mm. They wanted to push as much as they could in there. Yeah. They had this great setting, great idea. Yeah. You know. there's still like, you know, that issue that we're first exposed to in, the, you know, the first episode. Like, they're still bending gangs. And, still bending gangs. And all, and all that. The city still has the same issues. Yes. It just doesn't have a terrorist leading the charge. Yeah. Yeah. Or hopefully the power crazy maniac in government as well. well who guy, is yeah. all, like, and I like the idea that those two, it seems a little pat, right? These two are brothers, <laughs> but the, what it's symbolizing there is that these two, while coming from the opposite ends of the, uh, the comp on the fight mm-hmm. are related. They are linked. Yes. They are both after similar things. They're just using yeah. different ends of the, or manipulating different people to do it. Both going from trauma and fear and, Acting accordingly. And acting accordingly, yeah, exactly acting right. Acting out, yeah. But that being said as well, I like that, as I said, I do really like that this is not just all firebenders are bad guys, which seem to be a lot of what... No, it's not... It Well, actually, again, this is where episode count helps. Because by the third season of Avatar, we're given time to spend time mm-hmm. in the Fire Nation to understand that this is not that all Fire Nation people are bad. It's that the people who are running the war are bad. That, yeah. you know, this is more to do with the leadership than it's about anything else. Yeah. It's, it's, it goes back to, like, I think with long-form storytelling yeah. and with the three scenes of Avatar we get, we don't get this in one season of Korra and I don't, I don't think we should ask it of no. that. But it's the thing that Joss Whedon says, which is like, you know, your friends will, be- in, when talking about, like, writing a good story, your friends will betray you and, the, and your enemies will surprise you or, like, you know, be by your side or whatever. Yep. Like, that, like those kind of twists and turns and character development is so satisfying. Mm-hmm. We get that with Zuko in Avatar. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, one of the greatest, if not the greatest part of Avatar it's is, Z- is Zuko's journey. Yeah. It's the best. But we, we don't get that in season one of this. It's not no. going to be as satisfying. We're not going to go into – we're not diving that deep 
yet into the differences, the changes, how – because we still have to get to know these people before they can change and evolve. And that – yeah, yeah. I really think episode count is a big part of problem here. I do want to talk about just Aman as – his presence is very good in terms of like he's a scary bad guy mm-hmm. as presented. This yes. masked man who has this mysterious power to take people's bending away, mm-hmm. who just thought he's very smart. He's very charismatic and you understand why people are following this guy. Mm-hmm. You understand the, how he's doing it, the language he's using, the the way it sort of um, falls back on like uh, secret communist meetings, you know, sort mm-hmm. of like 19... 40s, 50s year, secret flies, those sorts of things. All of that is comes from real world influences, mm-hmm. and it, they use those uh, touchstones quite well. If not completely explored as well as it should be, mm-hmm. but I, I, I really like like um, uh, Stephen Bloom. I think it is Steve Steve Bloom, who is the voice of. Um, uh, Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop actually oh. um, does a great performance as a man. I really like Aman for what we get. Mm-hmm. It's also going to be a theme going forward. I don't think this is a spoiler to say that every season of Korra, unlike previous, unlike Avatar, which seemed like one long story mm-hmm. over three seasons, over 61 episodes, every season of Korra is going to be its own little story. Yeah, it's it like does have a, that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it's sort of a big bad per season. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes with weaknesses as well. Yes, it does. Um, but they, for the most part, I enjoy it. We talked about the murder-suicide already. Oh, I just like also want to talk about just I like how technology is such a big part of how the society is advanced mm. here by equaling sort of people's, by having these techno- technological options that allow non-benders to be able to throw their weight around against mm-hmm. benders the way they could in the past yeah. makes a lot of sense. The world has progressed. The world has changed. And so with that, Dynamics start to shift and conflict occurs. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Great little... Um, yeah. And I, I doesn't feel forced at all. It's really telling of the systems in places like the councillors that run the city mm-hmm. are all benders. benders. There's not a single person there that is uh, to represent non-benders. Do yep. non-benders have voting rights? Who knows? Do they have many rights at all? Who knows? Yeah. God, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know so bad. Someone give me like an adult version of Cora. That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before you final thoughts? Um, so this is not something that I thought of. I read it on the interwebs, but I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Is that so if lightning is their power source and Aman is going to take away all bending, are they just going to be like flung back into the dark ages? I don't think lightning is necessarily their only power source um, because a lot of, I mean, how are the non-benders using power to like power their, I think there's steam, isn't there? They're, they've suggested those, the mecha tanks are like steam powered and stuff like right. that. They all seem to have like funnels and chimneys. I think that there are, they utilize the lightning benders right. they have around to like charge batteries and stuff like that. But I don't think that's like, they only have right because it seemed like the city was powered by lightning. That, so that's where I Marco think that's goes one to. of their right. Like, that's okay. one way. I don't think it's the only way that things are powered. Okay, good. I mean, because I was real worried. I was like, oh my god, the automobiles wouldn't make a lot of sense that way. They need to be like gas powered or something like that. Mm. They're not going to be electric. I don't yeah, think. Yeah, that's true. Um, again, the, they're very the, the mecha tanks. Mm. What well, it, I it's really interesting. I they were electric. It's a real statement. Mm. It's really it would be. It's really interesting though how I like these alternate like futures or alternate realities where technology is like completely different spectrums. You've got no TVs, but you have a transistor radio. Yeah. But then you've got cars, but then you've got mecha tanks. 
But there are no guns. No one's thought to invent a gun. Everyone just uses mm. like throwy ropes and like grappling hooks and stuff like that. No one's ever thought, what if we put a sharp object to make it go real fast? <laughs> or a tiny object to make it go real fast through somebody? Mm. Bender's going to have a hard time with that. No one's thought about guns, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess the whole zappy zap thing. Zappy is, zap is the closest thing is to a the gun. Version That's of a like gun. the revolver, it's like, right? It's like, stay away from me. <sighs> yeah. I, I love that scene in the pro bending final where the people start to put their masks on mm. and take the gloves out and just chaos. And like you feel the the fear of that terrorist attack is really yeah. potent. That's one of my favorite mm. Amar moments where it's like these people are having an effect and you can uh, you can feel the momentum they're building in that city. Yeah. And it's I mean, cool. that would feel incredible if you've lived in a world of others that are way more powerful than you. You always feel powerless mm-hmm. to then be given like literally in the palm of your hand. Yes. Like, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Whew, that'd be, I can see why that movement is uh, moving. Yeah. There's, mm. a, there's a revolution there. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, should we get to final thoughts? Yes. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. I got a bunch of little side notes to get through quickly. Um, much like the last Airbender, our heroes lose a lot, which I yes, like. There's a yeah, lot of like satisfying things don't go well. Way. People get captured. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to re- make hasty retreats. Always important storytelling, I think. Yeah. You can't just be winning all the time. Yeah, and I think if you have a character like the Avatar who has so much power, you need to see him get beat down yeah. a bunch. Yep. Absolutely. How do you think logistically Aman's bloodbending works to take away bending? Because I've got a theory. I don't. You know I don't think about that stuff. What are uh, you asking me for? My guess is, again, because they can't necessarily discuss things completely because it's a kid's show. Mm-hmm. I think what he's doing is basically giving them like a clot, like uh, causing an aneurysm, like gross, just like damaging the part of their brain that would control that sort of thing. Which is why oh. the characters always look because he he does the same yeah, thing Ang does, where he puts pupils. like what's the opposite of dilate, retract, re- constrict, yeah, constrict. Thank you. When he stands behind them, he's like doing the he's like still doing the forehead thing like mm. Ang, but he does it from behind, which I like. Sort of a difference to Ang does it from the front, mm-hmm. um, but. The idea that he's like making that forehead touch suggests he's doing something to their brain, I think. Mm. And if he's blood bending, yeah, the idea that he like causes, which is why they look sick afterwards. You mm. see, I can't remember the guy's name, the pro bender wanker. Very anime guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah super <laughs> anime guy. See you later, Avatar. Um, he looks real sick. Like yeah. someone who's just gone through like a real tra- had a rough night, had a very bad time. Mm-hmm. I, I always thought it was like brain damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already talked about blood bend- pro bending, and we like it. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't talked about Naga or Pabu much yet. Pabu, I love Pabu. You love Pabu? Yeah, so much. So cute. He is extremely cute. Little dancing outfit. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, ha- he's like got a full belly. His belly's real. His belly's real yeah, full. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, cute. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very sort of like based on like a, a red panda sort of yeah. pavu. Very very cute. What about Naga? Do we like Naga much? Don't get a lot of Naga. I love Naga's design. Mm. Naga might be my most my, my favorite design for an animal. Like this polar bear dog thing mm. is a very cool like all muscle, big arms at the front, dog body at the back. Very cool design. I mean, that, I love Upper. I was gonna say the problem is. Upper has way more personality than Naga does. Yeah. Naga I mean, is- just like the design of Upper. I love Upper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sky Bisons are great. Yeah. Um, but no, the 
unfortunately, Naga's probably at the bottom of the totem of the cute animals because she doesn't have a massive personality. No. She's loyal. She's very capable. She doesn't have a lot, a lot of personality. She's a good puppy. She's, she's a, a good dog. She's a very good dog. Yes. Good dog. Good dog. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't have Momo or Appa or uh, Papa's personality, unfortunately. Not my cabbage corp. Did we like that little callback to? <laughs> of course I did. I love that every time. So, not my cabbage corp. <laughs> Fuck, that was good. Uh, that was it. Let's go talk about least favorite and favorite episodes. What was your least favorite episode, Damas? I mean, we've already discussed it. it is episode five, The Spirit of Competition. Um, it, you know, like I said, it contains some great bowling moments, which I really appreciate, but it also has a lot of the romance stuff. Um, I think things like that should come later when we've gotten to know the characters a bit better. And I mean, like, not character stuff, but romantic character yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. I think should come later. And I think that episode should have been character-focused, yes, not romantically, though. Sure. Um, there's a lot of the pro-bending stuff, which, while fun to look at, and I enjoyed more this time around, it's it's a cool spectacle. Mm-hmm. But give me some more story or character. Yeah. Totally. What about you? My least favorite episode is episode seven, The Aftermath. Mm-hmm. So this is after Amans had the terrorist attack at the Pro Bending Finals. And um, Korra, uh, they sort of do a lot of Korra versus Asami BS. Uh, mm-hmm. They they get to the point in the episode where Korra and her do have the driving bit mm-hmm. where they drive together. And you can sort of see Korra staying to bridge that gap. Yep, turn me on. Yep. But mm-hmm. then, um, then Korra's got this whole like conspiracy about um, Hiroshi Sato, which she's right about, Mm -hmm. but she's being very unreasonable in that episode. And it's just kind of like, she doesn't have a lot of evidence to really go on. She's acting way out. It kind of forces That's like the episode where I was, for like those moments, really on Marco's side. I'm like, I'm so glad he's like signaling something. I mean, like, you're being crazy, Cora. What are you doing? Yeah, she's being Mm. pretty insane. And she turns out to be right. And I don't like that because she's unreasonable. She (laughs) shouldn't be right at the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, Or they need to get there in a different way. And Mm. so it's very sad. And it starts to motivate Asami's arc Mm -hmm. going forward, which is, which needed to happen. Mm. But it's, it just feels a little bit um, uh, cheap and nasty how they get to that point in that episode. I'm not a big fan of how that episode plays out. Uh, favorite episode. Episode eight. When extremes meet in this episode, Asami is a badass during the car chase mm-hmm. scene. I love it. It's all about teamwork, team avatar, go to fight equalists. I like watching the team work together, watching the respect grow for one another. I yep. oh, love all that stuff. Um, Cora fights Tarlock and finds out he's a bloodbender. Great fight scene. Fucking love so that fight good. scene. When that when he she pulls away the wall, mm-hmm. like just like drags it towards him and takes away his water bending. Badass. So good. Um, and also we have Team Avatar is arrested while Cora is kidnapped. That's um so there's a lot of action, but there's also a lot of bonding. So I think it's a really good balance of things. I hundred percent agree. Episode mm-hmm. eight, uh, when extremes meet. The moment it's little things all the way through as well. There's a moment where um when Asami and the boys are coming to live on Air Temple Island and Iki just says, um, did you know that Korra likes Marco? And just the, <laughs> the freak out that Korra has, that really anime freak out, mm. it makes me laugh every yeah, time. it's very good. What, what, do you, you were sort of sucking in air between your teeth there. What? You oh, I just I just respect Asami's response to Oh, it. yeah, totally. Definitely. She's just perfect, everyone. <laughs> I'm so in love with Asami. There... A little flourishes in this episode that I noticed as well that I think talk a lot to Studio Mir and the the attention to detail. Mm-hmm. There's a bit where Cora and Tenzin are talking like outside the cancel chambers or something like that. 
And it's a pretty big close-up. But in the background, there's a guy talking to somebody else. And they went to the effort of making this guy's mouth move. Mm. Like, he's he's out of focus in the background. It's a nothing detail. <laughs> but they put in the effort to do that because they know it makes it feel more alive. Mm. It makes it like you your brain will recognize those details. I love little things like that. There's a little there's some good pull focus stuff in this episode as well. Studio Mirror amazing, I must say. I if you once you finish watching Korra, go and watch Voltron, the new Voltron series, because they're doing that as well. And it is oh. great. Um Asami is great in this episode, makes itself very useful. Mm-hmm. All that car chase stuff, which you could never have had a ch- car chase in Avatar Last Airbender. Yeah, true. Um Cora yeah, gets the Avatar team around her. Um, we do discuss some of the sort of the complexities of this, um, what the what's going on in Republic Sea at the time, which is good. And so that's quite relevant at the moment as well, which is um, interesting. The Talok fight is excellent. And then bloodbending is creeping cool. The other Talok thing I loved is where he's wrapping himself in water and he's like shooting the ice out of it. Mm. And then like Cora's trying to fight back. He's like punching through the ice shards. So good. Fucking so rad. I love bending so much. <laughs> I think that's it. That is it from me. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Uh, we will be back to talk about Korra Season 2 next year sometime. I'm not going to have time for the rest of this year, but I highly recommend everyone just goes and watches the rest of it. Mm. Get ahead of it. I'm going to do that over the summer break. I am I have been all week have been <laughs> like stopping myself from watching Season 2. Yeah, me too. Because yeah. se- Season 2 is an interesting one. There is a lot to talk about with Season 2. I, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with every season of Korra, really. But I'm looking forward to discussing that one with you when we get there. In the meantime, we'll be back very soon, later this week, to talk about Making a Murderer Season 2. We did not review Season 1, so Mm -hmm. we'll discuss Season 1 along the way as well. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, we're going to jump in and talk about Season 2. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.